0: Get ready to get your questions answered by financial advisors. Learn how to put more money back in your pockets regardless of where you're starting your financial journey with your host, Hannah Mitria. Welcome back everybody to the virtual U.S. financial advisor podcast. I'm so excited to have Jessica Medina here with us. Jessica Medina is an accredited financial counselor helping lawyers find the financial freedom to pursue their dreams. Um, However, if you're listening and you're not an attorney or a lawyer and you're like oh let me turn this off don't turn it off now because we're going to be talking about student debt and that's a big thing that plays into lawyers and attorneys and so we're going to be giving some strategies and talking about that ideas and so you're going to hear something that will still stick with you regardless of the profession you're in and so keep listening but jessica i'm so excited to have you on share with us a little bit about you what you do and your background
1: Thanks so much, Hannah. I'm excited to be here, especially on a podcast that is really interested in educating the entire community about all the different financial professionals that might be out there. As an accredited financial counselor, I am really helping lawyers in particular, but really anyone uh, who needs help with the basics of money management. So maybe those lessons that you wish you had gotten at home when you were growing up, the things that we all wish were taught in school uh, in terms of how to manage your cash flow, how to pay down debt, how to actually allocate money towards savings goals and make it all work while living your life.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I was a practicing attorney in D.C. for nearly 15 years. And for the majority of that time, I had no idea how to manage my money. So I even though I was making good money, I was also supporting my family, trying to balance life in a major metropolitan area. And I didn't do a great job of it. But when i decided i no longer wanted to practice that's what lit the fire under my own butt to get my finances in order and really make it so that i didn't have to keep that high salary i didn't have to be a lawyer if i didn't want to and i've taken those skills that i developed from my own personal finance journey combined them with all of the training and wonderful education that goes along with being an accredited financial counselor And I use those strategies to help my own former lawyers uh, either leave the law or change careers or make big transitions in their own lives without the stress that goes along with it.
0: I love that. I love that you took something you did and then turned it into helping others be able to do the same thing. And one thing that I talked about actually just recently with a friend is how we were never taught in any school how to manage our cash flows, how to do our taxes. And yet the world somehow expects us all to be like these adults. (laughs) <laughs> We've never learned how to manage money. So what was that transition like from going from being an attorney to, hey, I'm gonna now be a financial coach and also manage my own finances for myself? How did that like transition go for you?
1: I mean, I think it was a it was a big emotional journey for me to leave the law. The legal profession is one of those industries where it really does become wrapped up with your identity. Right, a lot of lawyers identify as a lawyer before they identify as anything else, and people who know lawyers probably think of them <laughs> as lawyers before they think of them as anything else, just okay. given the way that they interact with people and the way that they talk, the way that they write, and the way they converse. But I think. You know, the transition out of the law was a really big transition for me and my family. I was, you know, the main breadwinner at the time and figuring out how we could continue supporting our lifestyle and the financial goals that we had set for ourselves with me leaving that very lucrative career behind was number one, a big emotional decision, but also just required a fair amount of planning. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I always like to joke that, you know, lawyers are very risk averse. So I had a 10 year plan scheduled for when (laughs) I would leave the law from the moment that I decided that I didn't want to have to do it for the rest of my life. And I subsequently met my husband in that time frame and he cut the plan down to five years. He is retired army uh, and is, you know, he's just trained to work under circumstances with limited information. Mm-hmm. right he's trained to be able to assess what's going on and continue to move forward no matter how scary it is no matter uh you know what what he might have to deal with around the next corner and that just wasn't my training my training is to plan for every contingency imagine the worst case scenario and make sure that i'm completely prepared for all of it uh, but so in <laughs> combining our two strengths we cut my timeline in half That's <laughs> in awesome. terms yeah. of when i would leave but it was part right that he really provided a lot of emotional support in that transition and I provided a lot of the structure and planning and goal setting and making sure that we actually were financially secure enough to make that kind of a move. And mm-hmm. that's now what I help my clients think through and plan for, for their own transitions.
0: Awesome. And how long have you been doing the accredited financial coaching for attorneys? So
1: I left my last lawyer job was at the Securities and Exchange Commission. So I was in the financial industry, but on the enforcement side, and I left in 2018. That's when I began my accredited financial counselor training curriculum, uh, studying for the exam, starting to get my practice hours. You know, I think while I was working at the SEC, I really didn't want to be mixing careers. The SEC has very strict ethics guidelines about what you can do while you are working for the government and certainly working for a financial regulator. And I didn't want there to be any muddying of those waters while I was there. And so I made sure that it was a clean break from me leaving the SEC before I began my financial counselor journey. Mm -hmm. Um, But so that was back in 2018. And it did take some time for me to satisfy all of the requirements. (laughs) (laughs) The AFC is uh, no joke. Uh, I had promised myself when I took the bar exam that I would never take another exam again in my life. (laughs) And I did. And I had to study for it. But it has been a worthwhile transition, and after getting my uh, actual accreditation, I began my business and started working with clients. Uh, and now I've been running my business since 2020, and it's going pretty well.
0: All uh-huh. right, awesome. And you know, just to back up, you said 10 year plan, which is crazy because it probably that was more time than it took to go through school to become the attorney, I feel like. <laughs> and so it was like more time than that but then working as an attorney jumping to the SEC those are like like i think of like the show suits which is all about attorneys and at one point in that show they were dealing with the SEC <laughs> and so you're working in these two major places to be able to you know so you work from home primarily virtually now too
1: so right now my business is 100% remote. Yeah. Yes. When I, uh, if, if I'm working with local clients or if I happen to be in a city where my clients live, I will try to make a point to go visit them. But all of my sessions are remote and I work with people all over the country.
0: All right, awesome. Yeah, because I just love how you were like, went from the super corporate to get to live this life of freedom while still creating that income that you need. And so I love that story, just how you transitioned through those. Like, I feel like you went from like hard to even harder to- <laughs> to doing even harder stuff, but now having the freedom to be able to do it. So yeah, it's awesome. And then mentioning the accredited financial coaching. So AFC, you talked about getting certified in it. And I know you mentioned before how it's so much different than just saying you're a financial coach. Like you went through their accreditation. And so talk to me a little bit about that because so many people are going to say, hey, I'm a financial coach. I can help you with this. But they have nothing to really like back it up. They're not they didn't work in the financial world before. They just, they managed their own finances and they started wanting to teach others. So tell us what the big difference is between being coach or being an accredited financial coach.
1: Right. So the accredited financial counselor uh, certification is basically a more structured personal finance and financial counseling training program. And, you know, I think what differentiates the AFCs in the industry from someone who you know calls themselves a financial coach is the training. It is the ethics requirements that we all have to adhere to. We're being watched and monitored by an overseeing board that's making sure that we are treating our clients well and you know, being pillars in the financial community. I worked at the Securities and Exchange Commission, right? So we are a financial regulator. Our whole job is being a watchdog on aspects of the financial industry But we focus on the investment side. We -hmm. focus on the securities markets, right? And making sure that people aren't being bamboozled and taken advantage of with respect to investments, insurance products. Those are the products that are regulated. Financial coaching is not regulated. It's Mm -hmm. like all other types of coaching where, you know, it's almost, it's kind of like a mentorship type of industry. And that isn't something that the federal government at this point has any interest in managing. And so, yes, anybody can call themselves a coach. I will say that I know many financial coaches who do not have some sort of accreditation attached to their name, and they're wonderful. Mm -hmm. They have amazing personal stories. They've done a lot of personal education to become very literate in financial topics, in how to help people. And I think that, you know, Because so much of financial coaching is really just about those basics of money management that we all wish we had learned from our family, Mm -hmm. you don't necessarily need an accreditation to be able to help someone pay down their debt. Uh, That being said, what I love about being an AFC is I feel completely prepared to help someone maneuver any financial situation, even if I haven't gone through it personally. And I think that's one of the big differences between working with someone who has gone through a structured curriculum who's been exposed to a number of different financial stories, problems, issues, even if I can't help you solve your problem, I know who the next person is that you should talk to. I know how to get you started on a path to find an answer. And I think that's one of the things that differentiates me from, you know, someone who maybe hasn't had any particular training in topics that were outside of their own personal experience with money. But again, like I said, this is not a regulated area. Uh, I come a regulated industry, right? Lawyers go to accredited schools, we have to take an exam. We get watched by our own bar. And there's these ongoing continuing legal education and ethics requirements that we have to satisfy. So the accredited financial counselor program felt very familiar to me. <laughs> this is a very comfortable space for me to be in as a former lawyer and a former regulator. Right. I like governing bodies. I like somebody else, you know, watching, you know, kind of what I do and making sure that people with me and my title are behaving well, uh, especially as someone who used to watch financial professionals who were not behaving well. Mm -hmm. So. You know, for me, it was important, but I don't think it's necessary. That being said, it has been a huge value add to my practice and to my skills as a financial counselor, uh, because I don't only uh, I didn't only learn personal finance topics that I might not have experienced in my life. I also learned how to be a better counselor when it comes to talking about money. Money can be a very emotional topic uh, for many people. It's not just about numbers, especially if you want to get people real results. And so the counseling training that I got through my program was just as helpful as all of the training that I got on, you know, more general personal finance topics.
0: Awesome, No, I love that there is, you know, checks and balances being made and like looking at those different things, it's crazy to think that like there's not, like you have the SEC that's monitoring all the investments. I would almost look at like coaching as an investment in yourself. And so it's crazy that it's not regulated in any way, but um, it's good to know that there's different pieces So if somebody is a coach and they aren't accredited, they're teaching from a place of experience and they're helping you just like jump that time gap of the learning. But then you are like almost this whole quarterback where you know where they need to go next, regardless of whether it's something you've been through or not. So I love that you have that for you. So let's talk about what services do you do for your clients?
1: So I work with my clients for six months at a time. I like having that luxury of time for them to be able to learn different strategies that might apply to their financial situation and implement them in real time. It's one thing to put together a plan, it's another thing to actually execute it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so, you know, a lot of my clients are interested in making a career jump. Maybe they're looking at leaving their law firm and going into the government or going into nonprofit work or even starting their own firm. And they want to think through what are the financial implications of that decision? How is this going to affect my family on a day-to-day basis? If I'm looking to get into a house, how will that affect what kind of house I can afford in the future? Uh, And so we look at all of those different questions and I put together different strategies that I think might make sense for them. And one of the things that I think is important in this process is making sure that you are incorporating your client's personality, their habits, their non-negotiables in their life when putting together any type of short or long-term strategy with respect to money. And so the strategies that I put together for my clients are hyper-personalized. We're looking at their current financial picture. How are they spending their money right now? Are there things that they could optimize on that front? What does their student loan debt picture look like? That's a huge issue for my clients. And student loan repayment strategies are extremely complicated and convoluted for no good reason. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I help them think through what their different options could look like, especially in light of a career jump that they might be making. I help them think through any other debt that they're tackling, uh, also long-term savings goals, if they're going to be expanding their family, uh, getting into a house for the first time, or getting rid of a house that maybe they feel is a little bit too much of a burden, given the transitions they'd like to make. We think through all of those different pieces and come up with a detailed plan of where they should be putting their money now to optimize what they have going on and what the future could potentially look like if they make a transition. Then we take that plan and we start to work on actually making it happen. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I teach them a cash management system that allows them to see what's going on with their money and pivot as needed in real time. For a lot of my clients, there isn't a lot of clarity into what's going on and they know that they spend money, they know that it goes different places, and they really can't get a handle on, you know, why they end up at the end of the month looking the way that it does. So <clears throat> I help them with that. And that's really where we spend the bulk of our time is in, <clears throat> the, in actually implementing some of these cash management techniques so that the long-term strategies come to fruition over time. And at the end of our six months, I always wanna make sure the plan still makes sense for everyone, everybody feels supported but i've had many many clients make real life changes while we're working together they get new jobs they buy their dream home they sell their home and move to another city they grow their family they decide they want to stay in the law because mm-hmm. they they see what the financial implications of that could look like and they would rather you know supercharge their financial foundation before making their exit mm-hmm. uh, and so those are some of the the changes that I see in my own clients, even in the time that we're working together. And then of course, I love getting updates from people who email me after we've worked together. I just wanna let you know I just took a new job or I'm, I'm finally leaving my firm. I've paid off all my student loans and I feel ready to move on. Uh, all of those stories are always really great for me to hear. And I love checking in with my clients to see how they're doing. Awesome, I love that you built
0: that whole plan around them and then work with them for six months. And it's not like, here's a plan, now good luck executing it. You're actually working, taking them through and working through it. So let's key in on some of the the different strategies that you use, starting with like student loan. That's such a huge thing for not just uh, lawyers, but so many Americans and so many people over the world with student loan debt. And, you know, regardless of if it's $25,000 or $250,000, what are some strategies that you really work with your clients on to be able to overcome that debt?
1: So I think student loan debt is number one, a particularly painful issue for lawyers, especially because it's usually such a huge number and they attach the value of their career and this very large investment that they've made to this, you know, this very looming debt. Uh, Student loan debt is also special for everyone because it doesn't behave like other debt, especially when we're talking about federal student loan debt. So the first thing that I want all of my clients to understand is what kind of loans do you have? Not all student loan debt is created equal, and we want to make sure that we understand what we're dealing with before we start to think through what potential strategies could be the most effective for dealing with the student loan debt issue. The vast majority of my clients have 100% federal student loans. They graduated from school at a time where federal student loans could cover your entire graduate school cost, which was not true when I was in school. So I graduated with a bunch of private loans that I behaved okay. very differently. But you know, thinking through what kinds of loans do you have? And if you have primarily federal student loans, there are a lot of different avenues for dealing with that debt. And paying it off as quickly as possible is often not the best case scenario for people with hundreds of thousands of dollars of student loan debt. Mm-hmm. Although for the typical American graduate, we're talking about roughly $35,000 of debt, which is a fair amount, right? We're talking about a car loan size. Mm-hmm. Law school graduates have a mortgage size amount of debt that they are trying to <laughs> deal with. Yes, And although it is possible, especially given some lawyer salaries, you know, to, to pay off that debt in five years, you know, three years if you're really aggressive, What that means is that for that time period, you probably won't be doing anything else with your money Mm -hmm. and you have to make decisions about whether you are willing to give up that time and those resources in service of this one financial goal, especially if this is a financial goal that could be paid off in a different fashion in the future. As I mentioned, I work with a lot of lawyers who are interested in transitioning their careers. Mm -hmm. So if they're currently at a firm, but they're anticipating moving into government, I wouldn't want them to pay off all their student loans when they're going to qualify for forgiveness in the future. Mm -hmm. I I remember when I was at the the, Securities and Exchange Commission, many of us had graduated law school around the same time. And so we had a mix of federal and private loans. And everyone who had been at a firm and ended up at the SEC and had paid off their student loans was mm-hmm. so mad at themselves for yeah. having <laughs> spent that money, um, not only because public service loan forgiveness, uh, which is a program that forgives federal student loans after 10 years of you know government service, including other public service type jobs. But in addition, the Securities and Exchange Commission offered federal loan repayment assistance. So they would just give you extra money outside of your salary to help you pay down your federal loans. And if you didn't have any, you couldn't get that benefit. That just wasn't something you got to take advantage of. So I think when you are thinking about, especially when you're thinking about, you know, making a transition with your career, you want to be very cognizant of what the effects of that will be in terms of your student loan responsibilities and Mm -hmm. what programs you may qualify for. Now, if you are someone who is battling with private student loans, right, the loans that are held by private banks, Um, You probably, uh, well, I would hope that you've at least taken a look at your interest rate, right? Uh, Once you're in the private loan world, there aren't that many options for what you can do with your loans. But some of the strategies that I talk to my own clients about are thinking through how long do you want to take to pay off this debt? And will being less aggressive now allow you to achieve some other financial goals that might be of higher priority and you'll still get the debt paid off eventually? You just might not do it as your number one priority right now. So we really look through very strategically about what it could look like to refinance even private loans into a new loan that potentially has a better interest rate, maybe a longer repayment term than they had originally considered, because it will free up some money to deal with other life financial goals that might be a higher priority for them at this phase. And so those are some of the strategies that I talk through with my clients to figure out, number one, are they eligible for, you know, any type of forgiveness uh, or any type of student loan debt relief. And, you know, if they are to make sure that we're thinking through how they could optimize, you know, that eligibility and also thinking through where in the priority line of financial goals do student loans sit. Mm -hmm. For some people, it's very emotional and we need to get rid of it as quickly as possible because it's preventing Mm -hmm. them from doing anything else with their life. Mm -hmm. But for many people, it's just another debt. It's just another bill that they pay. And as long as they don't have to see the balance, it really is just a line item on their monthly expense sheet. Uh, and if they can treat it that way, then they can refocus energy on other goals that they may have and make the changes that they want in their lives.
0: All right, awesome! Thank you for sharing all of those tips, Jessica. Because I've had friends who you know aren't attorneys, but they've you know, we've had just discussions of you know should I pay my student debt off like really quick should I just like put my life on pause to pay it off and I'm like I'm definitely in the other category of it's a line item and that's what we do we just pay it monthly because there are so many different possibilities that we cannot predict in the future of will the debt be paid off will it be forgiven and whether when whichever way we feel about it We'll definitely feel sadder if we pay it off and find out it's forgiven like later on. And so I'm like, I'm just gonna hold on to it. I'll just keep paying it monthly like I should. Where I know some friends are like, oh, I should pay it off now. But I think that's a really good way to look at it is really thinking of, you know, what in the future, whether that's you get into teaching, because I know if you're working in Teaching can get them paid off. If you're working in government, you can get them paid off. So there are many different strategies to be able to get your student loans paid off. And there's so many companies out there that also help pay your student loans off. But like you said, if you don't have them, you won't get that benefit. And it's not to say we all want to hold on to these debts. Is it the most important priority in our life to pay that off? Um, is something we have yeah. to really decide personally where it falls into play for us. So I love that you shared all those tips too and how to look at it in different strategies. So the next thing, kind of, and so we went to school now, we got these big student debts. Our goal, hopefully, is to now have this big income. And like we talked about earlier, we never learned in school how do we manage our money? How do we do our taxes, any of those things? So, what are some strategies around managing a big income or, you know, really any income too? Is how do you manage? those line items that cash flow cash management system.
1: I think one of the most important things that we all need to do in terms of managing our money is just build our awareness. With my clients who are considered high income, right? So we're talking people who are making maybe over $200,000 a year. You get into this, you get into this practice where you just don't pay attention. Mm-hmm. Right? You have enough money to pay all your bills, you're not on the verge of bankruptcy, you know, nothing nothing is going unpaid at the end of the month. That being said, there's probably a fair amount of waste going on, right? Mm-hmm. And if you had a better handle on where your money is going, then although you can pay the credit card off every month, does the credit card bill need to be as high as it is? That's the question for people who are managing, you know, large salaries and often large expenses my clients who make over $200,000 a year don't feel like they make that kind of money because they live in a major metropolitan area. They might have small children and they're spending money on daycare because they work all the time, right? So that's just another mortgage on top of what they're paying for their student loans and their actual mortgage. Uh, And so you know, when you hear some of these incomes, it sounds like so much money. How could someone ever need help managing that? Isn't that easy? And it's actually not. Because along with the income comes all the stress of Mm -hmm. having a job that requires you to be on call 24-7, working on the weekends, requiring 24-7 daycare in order for you to perform Mm -hmm. at work, all of the stress purchases that go along with (laughs) Having an emotionally draining career, all of the convenience spending that goes along with not being, you know, around to cook or take care of your home. You know, for me, housekeeping was always a Mm non-negotiable. I could cut out everything else and be perfectly happy, but I needed my housekeeper because that just wasn't something that I had bandwidth to handle between taking care of my kids and being a good lawyer and, you know, just trying to survive the end of the day. And so thinking through what are what are your non-negotiables and what kinds of things could you let go of if you are letting go of them in service of something greater? Mm -hmm. For many of my clients, the idea of saving money for money's sake is insufficient to motivate Mm -hmm. them to actually change a behavior, right, to change something that brings them comfort or that they feel, you know, makes their life more livable. But when I show them what could be possible if we did. Create you know these additional nest eggs if we created transition funds, if uh, you know they had money to take the trip and didn't have to put it on the credit card every year, that's when you can see the light in their eyes. That's mm-hmm. when you can see them getting fired up and being excited about starting to pay attention. Mm-hmm. So I think you know with with most financial issues and with most issues generally, the first step is always awareness so seeing where things are going and then coming up with a way that you can consistently see what's happening with your money and make changes in real time. That I think is the secret sauce to maintaining this new behavior, right? And actually seeing progress on your goals. And that's what I teach my clients.
0: No, I completely relate. Saving money to save money seems so daunting sometimes <laughs> because there's so many you know things out there that you're like, oh, but I want to go to that or I want to order this and I want to do this. So now I think really looking at all those other bigger pictures helps save that money. That's something like we just did this year is we created a fun account where every month we put a budget into it, even if we're not sev- using it so that we know we can use that money down the road so we're not doing the credit cards and the things like that. Um, so I love that you're, You're teaching that. And, you know, as soon as you start mentioning like metropolitan, I think of like New York City and I'm like thinking of like the house I live in in New York City would probably be millions of dollars, but I live in Fort Worth, Texas. So it cost me, you know, (laughs) $250,000 versus millions of dollars. And so, you know, as soon as you, and a lot of these big income careers typically lead into metropolitan, especially attorneys and things like that. And so that money is not a lot as soon as you switch, (laughs) like- like if I took my income and you plopped me in LA, I would be homeless probably. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, which is crazy to think that you know, a big income over there is not the same. And so we still need to learn these money management skills regardless. Um if that's not like the best commercial to leave a big city guy,
1: <laughs> I don't know what it is. So. I was gonna say, Hannah. This is one of the secrets, right, to making a a uh, stress-free transition to a new life. Part of it is leaving behind the cost of living that isn't absolutely necessary. Mm-hmm. I have many of my clients. Yes, they live in metropolitan areas for exactly the reason that you said, because that's where their firms are that's Mm -hmm. where the big companies are but if that's no longer how you want to practice or the career that you want to have you are no longer strapped to that cost of living Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and thinking through how much further your dollar could go if you were open to moving to a different you know an area of your state or an area of the country or closer to family all of those things are you know things that I talk about with my clients in terms of what do they want their future life to look like and thinking through all of the line items that would go away if they changed careers, right? Mm -hmm. I call them the golden handcuffs. They operate differently than the traditional definition of golden handcuffs, right? We're not talking about pensions here. We're not talking about, you know, the 50-year career watch that you get. We're talking about all of the things that you spend money on because of the nature of your work, right? If your work requires you to be somewhere 24-7, there's going to be spending that is attached to that that is just a natural consequence of the nature of your job. And so when you strip those handcuffs away, your life becomes much more manageable. And maybe you don't necessarily need the big city income to live a life that feels just as big. Mm-hmm. And so really take, you know, paying attention to that and recognizing it because a lot of people, they know that the spending, they're doing it right now, but they don't see what would be possible if they actually changed a fundamental aspect of their life, right? Where they work, where they live. Those are two huge decisions that have an enormous impact on your financial situation for the rest of your life. And so if we can think through what could that look like, that can often open up doors that they never thought would be possible
0: a hundred percent agree, and I think with Covid we were given this beautiful opportunity to move even further away, this virtual world, uh, but it also comes down to you know are are you still wanting to be an attorney? like you know you work primarily with attorneys, so you know what are some things that maybe they feel stuck? They are living in the city, they have all these debts, they're making these big incomes, they don't feel like if they lose that income, they can still survive. so what are some things you do, and how do you work with? an attorney or a lawyer, or any, you know, high level professional that went through all these years of schooling to transition to what they really want. Because that is something that you do too. And beyond just accredited financial counselor, you're helping them transition their life from, hey, I'm an attorney and that's my title <laughs> to, um, hi, my name's Hannah. And this is what I do in addition to being a human.
1: That's right. A lot of the the counseling aspect of what I do is helping attorneys think through what transitions could feel like. Uh, and as someone who made the transition myself, I am right. This is the part of coaching that comes directly from my personal lived experience, um, not only moving from a firm to the government, which was a big transition in and of itself and also a huge pay cut, but also moving from the government out of law completely. That was you know, a harder transition for me to make. But I was actually more prepared for it financially because I had finally been planning. Uh, and so part of what I want to do is, number one, give my clients comfort that the money is not going to be an issue. Mm -hmm. Because if we take the money off of the table as a hurdle to them being able to make some sort of a move, that's when they are able to actually engage the creative and the the dreaming part of their brain. Mm -hmm. So I come in and provide some of the, the comfort and the security that we are going to be able to figure out the money piece of it it might not, you know, be on the timeline that they're imagining, but it is all possible. And so if that is no longer an issue, what would you like to work on? You know, what kind of work would you like to be doing? And for a lot of my clients, they don't necessarily go from, you know, practicing law to a completely separate career where they have started a llama farm and are, you know, <laughs> spinning knit and knitting and you know, spinning their own yarn, though I do have a client that is her eventual dream uh, and we worked out how how she could get there and what she would need to be doing. But a lot of my clients actually end up in what we call a bridge job, right? or a bridge career. So mm-hmm. they go from practicing law the way that they practice now to something slightly different. Maybe they go from a firm to being in-house, or they go and you know test out government work, or they go work at a nonprofit. Or they, you know, they start their own firm, which is not its own emotional journey, right? As mm-hmm. someone who has also started her own business, I can tell you entrepreneurship is the hardest thing that I have ever done in my life, way harder than law school. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that being said, all of these big jumps, very few of them are made in, you know, the vacuum of, well, it's two months later, I've decided I'm not going to be a lawyer anymore and I'm going to completely overhaul every, absolutely everything in my life. Yes, you could do that. My husband could probably do that with very little stress and be perfectly fine (laughs) with it, just given his training. But my lawyer clients, not so much, right? So thinking through what would the phases of a transition look like? Mm -hmm. If you'd like to get to something that is more fulfilling, but you don't really know what it is yet, part of the problem might be that you're too busy to think about it right? Mm -hmm. We might need to get you into a position that allows you more time to think about what your next career is going to look like. I have a lot of clients who want to go back to school, but they're terrified about leaving work altogether in order to jump into a completely new career. So maybe they work part-time somewhere while they take part-time classes to explore this new area uh, of study that is interesting to them and that they're thinking they might want to pursue, you know, a more advanced degree in. Uh, but so instead of thinking of everything as a black and white decision, I'm either a lawyer or I'm not a lawyer the next day, thinking through what would slow transitions look like and how could we you know, maneuver the money piece all along the way so that everything's getting done in due time, but you're not feeling completely stressed out like the ball could drop at any moment if you make one wrong move. And so for a lot, of, a lot of lawyers in particular, we are trained that there is a right answer to every question and a wrong answer to every question, even though the law is open to interpretations. <laughs> it's, it's very difficult for us to hold these two ideas in our brain simultaneously, but it's true. There are many options between being a lawyer that works at a large law firm and you know, works 24-7 and someone who is not practicing law at all and, you know, is just completely retired and, you know, does nothing all day. There are all of these shades in between. And that's what I like to explore with my clients and how they can make the money work out no matter which path they choose.
0: All right. Awesome. I love that. You know, they're not transitioning completely out. They could just be transitioning to being an entrepreneur. And I will agree. I can attest to the law school part of it. Uh, but being an entrepreneur is definitely much harder than it ever was to be an employee. So Uh, you know, looking at all those more rewarding, but definitely more difficult. Yeah. Yes. I get to pick my own schedule now, but, you know, sometimes my schedule is dictated to me by my calendar
1: and things like that. Right. Um, Isn't that crazy? You get to pick your own schedule. So when you're feeling overwhelmed, it's your fault. You did. (laughs) Oh, no. Is that just how I see it? (laughs) Oh, no.
0: I understand the first two weeks of this year. I was like, how did this happen? (laughs) <laughs> the second week in February is my first week where I don't have like 25 meetings. <laughs> so I'm like so excited. But all right. So a question uh, before I let you go here is how do clients kind of know that they're on the right track? How do they know they're heading in the right place to achieve their goals?
1: So I think uh, for my clients in particular, they should enjoy their days more and more, right? They should enjoy their days more and more on the money front in terms of their stress levels should be down. They should have a clear focus for, you know, what their number one financial goal is at the time, and they should feel good about whatever trade-offs they might be making with respect to the resources that they have available to them. In terms of their career, what I like to see for my clients is they are inching closer and closer to something that feels truly fulfilling for them, right? Like we were discussing, the bridge careers might not be 100% fulfilling, but they are serving a purpose. They are serving a purpose to number one, keep you on a path that keeps you at a low stress level for the financial piece and also allows you time and space to think about what you might want to do, right? A lot of my entrepreneurial clients still work part-time as an attorney in some form or fashion. It's just in a much more flexible environment so that they can also work on their business, right? So they might have their own firm, but they do contract work for other firms. And that supplies some of the income that they need because they haven't built up their own book of business enough yet to be able to truly be completely on their own. And that's fine. The best of both worlds, you have a little bit of security and you get, you know, the rush of excitement of creating something that is completely yours. And so I think when, when I hear back from my clients that they have, you know, they have moved into an area that they had never imagined themselves living in, they're loving it uh, and they're so happy there, or they have grown their family and did not stress about, you know, the addition of a new baby uh, Mm -hmm. because they had a plan for how they would deal with everything or they've transitioned careers and they're exploring their interests. They're exploring hobbies. Uh, A lot of lawyers don't have hobbies. Mm (laughs) because Their only hobby is work. Uh, And so when I see my clients spending more time doing things they truly enjoy, that is how i measure their progress are they feeling better about money and are they feeling better about the trajectory of their life that it's going in a direction that they really really love
0: awesome i feel like i'm on the right path because i feel like i'm not stressed about money as much as i was six months ago so i feel like i'm doing the thing thank you
1: (laughs) (laughs) how do you test success asking for a friend
0: Exactly. That's what I was doing. So
1: thank you. All right. So,
0: how can people reach out to you, Jessica? And, you know, I know you work ideally with attorneys and lawyers, but is there other people that would be ideal for, you know, reaching out to you to coach with?
1: So, because of the issues that I typically see with my attorney clients, uh, folks who are struggling with a lot of student loan debt, who want to make a career transition or other life transition. And are struggling with how to see their way to the other side those are my ideal clients and in terms of how to get in touch with me my website you can read all about me it's www.jessicamedinallc.com you can hear a little bit more about my backstory see testimonials from clients that i've worked with and you can schedule a free consult call like i said i work with my clients for six months so we're going to talk before that starts to make sure that it's a good fit and to make sure that I'm the right financial professional for you. As you know, Hannah, there are so many different types of financial professionals. And mm-hmm. I'm an accredited financial counselor, uh, which also means that I do not give investment advice. I don't give tax advice. And I don't give legal advice. <laughs> I'm still a licensed attorney, but I'm not your attorney. Yeah. Uh, and my attorney clients understand that. But you know, if you are someone who is ready for an investment advisor, I'll let you know because I think it's really important that you get the right help at the right time. And I'm the right person for someone who really is looking for help with their day-to-day money management and maneuvering through a big transition. But after that, I'm probably going to graduate you to a financial professional that can help you with some of the more advanced techniques and strategies.
0: Awesome. Well, we'll put all of your information, disca in the show notes. so Anybody listening, you can go to the show notes to be able to find her website, and reach out to her. But thank you so much for joining us, sharing all the information about student loans, how to manage cash management with big incomes, and just you know how to kind of figure out if you're ready for that transition in life. So thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Hannah. This was fun. Thank you for joining us this week on the Virtual U.S. Financial Advisor podcast. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or via RSS so you'll never miss an episode. We'd love rating on iTunes or better yet, tell a friend about the show which will help us grow as well. If you want to learn from any of our financial advisors, head over to our website, virtualusfinancialadvisor.com to learn more about each financial advisor and connect with them personally. Be sure to tune in next week to get more advice from the expert financial advisors. See you on the next episode.